That's right, sports fans. We're giving them the big one, too. The Breaking Ball. The Flame of Frenzy. Wait. Wait, this isn't an Elden Ring podcast. It's a, it's a movie podcast. I guess it could be, in the loosest of definitions, a movie podcast. Hi, I'm Mark, and uh, this is our second at-bat in the baseball trilogy. Predictably enough, this is a sequel to Major League, which I also had on VHS as a child, and that is still relatively disturbing. Let's get into it. By the numbers, ah, who gives a shit? It came out in 94, and it isn't as good as Major League Part 1. Despite the huge amount of profanity, it still garnered a PG rating. This was a different time. The good old days when you could smoke on an airplane and in a hospital. Nothing in California gave you cancer. The Mitsubishi 3000 GT, aka the Dodge Stealth, the Mark IV Supra Turbo, the 300ZX, and the RX-7 all roamed the streets. Those million-dollar muscle cars you see on TV now? They were giving them away at the time. Your computer probably had a turbo button. What does that have to do with the price of eggs on Tuesday? Absolutely nothing, friends. Not a damn thing. I'm sorry, I'm a loose cannon. I am recording this right now, not at an actual baseball field as I was meant to, but in a car, because it has been an atrocious day and there is lightning and rain, but it's not raining at the moment, thankfully. But I'm out here. I'm doing it. Why am I being so cavalier with the format? Because I can. Because this movie is so cavalier with characters that we grew to know and love. The pitch. the damn song again look out in the cheap seats the funniest team in baseball is back for their best season ever All the way. ricky wild thing vaughn what was that last pitch you threw me oh. called the eliminator jake taylor there's a rookie in camp i'm gonna need your help with what exactly is his problem Roger Dorn. Come on, Roger. Take one for the team. <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes. And he's out by an eyelash at third. Boy, we never seem to get the close ones. Pedro Serrano. Serrano killed baseball. And making their debuts this season, Jack Parkman. Kamikaze Tanaka. Rube Baker. I bet you're wondering why they call me Rube. No, I got a pretty good idea how that happened. And back in the booth, team announcer Harry Doyle. The Indians are showing signs of life for the first time in weeks. They appear to be beating the crap out of each other. Major League Two. It's a swing and a hit. So, not at the baseball field, not even in the car anymore. I am at home after a tropical storm weekend. So, anyway, we'll, we'll just go on with it. So maybe, on a nice note, Rene Russo got a few hours of work as Lynn. Jake Taylor didn't fuck it up completely. That's charming. 
It's only been a year, so there's still time. But they look to have a real relationship, which is very nice. If you think back to last episode and you think about the kind of warnings or gotchas I called out, except for the team still being called the Indians and potentially using the words Chief Wahoo even more in this movie, everything else got worse. Serrano is pulling double duty as not only being the shovel to take shallow digs at voodoo, he's also used to take shallow digs at Buddhism. As his foil, and we'll talk about that, is Tanaka, the Japanese ball player who's focused on Bushido. He's actually Japanese, and, and baseball's a thing in Japan, which is cool. I knew about that from watching Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck. But they're bad characters in all the ways that Serrano was a bad character. And that's not to say that they're, they're bad characters through and through, because obviously they have uh, some measure of heart, uh, but th they're bad characters. Rachel Phelps is even more Rachel Phelps than ever, and buys back the team from a neutered Roger Dorn, who stopped being a financial juggernaut to be a financial sub. She does all the bad Rachel Phelps things that she does again, and more. It doesn't help that she's somewhat of a babe, but, you know, maybe that influenced me in ways that I am hadn't really totally unpacked until now. We do have a modicum of a love triangle between Wild Thing Rick Vaughn and his yuppie yet gorgeous agent come girlfriend Rebecca, and then his also gorgeous and down-to-earth ex-girlfriend, Nikki. Rebecca is played by the marvelous and Irish Alison Duty, whom you may recall as the stone-cold fox of a Nazi from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, as well as the annoyingly named Jenny Flex in the 007 movie A View to a Kill. She's got a pretty good accent, but it slips at times. Michelle Burke, whom I mentioned would return in the Dazed and Confused episode, plays Nikki, who is clearly the better partner for our, our wildest of things. I regret to, uh, to publicly tour my adolescent sexual awakening, yet here we are. A bit of the music from part one shows up, and that's charming. The music in Major League was oddly specific in its time, but it was also generic and energetic in, in the best of ways. It helped underpin the montages and the choruses of Clevelanders living their lives in the orbit of this underachieving baseball team. There's the addition of a few Stevie Ray Vaughan tracks as well as tracks from his brother Jimmy Vaughn, and that's something. That's cool. I like me some SRV. I'd say that this is likely the first traceable place that I can say I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan. But gone is the earnestness of Randy Newman and the first movie. Gone is the honest point of view of David S. Ward. What we have in this movie is it going full Hollywood, trying to sell some more of those uh, posthumous Stevie Ray Vaughan and humus Jimmy Vaughn records. There's so much less of the, the people of Cleveland in this movie. It's interesting that it's a movie about players becoming complacent chumps when they reach a modicum of success because this is basically an allegory for the movie that we are watching. The look of the movie isn't any better than its predecessor, and if anything, it's regressed slightly in the representation of baseball. But that's not to imply that it's without its improvements. They make a bit more of a meal for the big bad evil guy of Jack Parkman, the star catcher the Indians picked up in the offseason. He's portrayed by David Keith to a successful level. Keith isn't necessarily quite the ball player as some of the original cast, 
but he's much more of an actor than any of the actual players who were in the first film. They also take measures to use uh, interesting camera angles on Parkman to increase his perceived threat, which was nice. I'd say that that about rounds out the improvements. Well, okay, well, maybe Rube Baker, right? Rube Baker played by Eric Ruskotter as the naive country bumpkin who has a heart of gold and indeed is the heart of the movie. He's got some good stuff going on in there. Some, uh, a lot of the humor really revolves around Rube Baker. The screenwriters use Rube to deliver the message as well as to sneak in references to Playboy magazine as well as descriptions of lingerie from Fredericks of Hollywood. Omar Epps replaces Wesley Snipes as the actor for Willie Mays Hayes, and it's totally fine when he stops trying to do a Wesley Snipes impression. Most of the returning cast is fine. There are some notable absences that are filled in with toothpaste and painted over. Takaki Ishibashi, uh, apologies for the pronunciation. Takaki Ishibashi, I, I would go for the second one, is the most notable new face as Japanese import Isuro Tanaka. And he's, he's fine, he's good, but his performance is, is caricature at best. That's the fault of the screenwriters more than him. That being said, the, the marbles dance was a thing when I played baseball, and I'm, I'm 99% sure that we got in trouble for it and just had to stop doing it. Like there was conflict with Serrano in the first movie of religion, there is conflict with Serrano in the second movie of religion. He's, he's just a Buddhist now. Tanaka calls him out for not being a warrior. It's, it's a whole thing that really doesn't go anywhere, but, but pays off with a Serrano home run. So I, I guess you can kind of just do whatever you want as long as Serrano ends up hitting a home run. Jake Taylor comes into his own, being the team's head coach when James Gammon's Lou Brown has a heart attack and requires surgery. There's a bit of fun where Lou's in the hospital with a contraband radio listening to the ALCS and is just losing his shit when the Indians do well. I feel like uh, anger management's you gotta dunk that shit bit comes from there. Dorn is, is just annoying in this movie, which is unfortunate for Corbin Burnson, who could have done more and should have been written to do more. That's not the only disappointment in character, as Vaughn turns in the span of one offseason into the biggest fucking yuppie that ever walked the earth. Let's get an F in chat for mild thing. Randy Quaid, of which there is entirely too much of in this movie, has some good burns on Wild Thing, but he's just a generic hater. The movie makes a whole thing about, about being yourself, and I get it, but there's also the ability to to learn and grow and, you know, just be okay as a person, which was overlooked. Charlie Sheen doesn't have the 1989 lean and mean wild thing look anymore. He, he barely throws a pitch in this movie, interestingly enough. But he's got uh, full cheeks and the full belly of having a successful career, and it shows. He reverts to the wild thing of his past right at the end, and then just straight up smokes Parkman at the plate with a 102 mile an hour fastball, which is um, 164 kilometers per hour, I believe. Uh, maybe, I don't know. And then he gets Nikki, the down to earth girl who told him to be himself, whom he dumped when his agent came along. Ugh. His agent, who has been toying with him and using him to pass the time, mind you. 
did I mention that Nikki works with orphans or, or something, underprivileged children, children with difficulties? Like, it's a lot, but she's definitely the Madonna archetype, and, and Rachel is definitely the whore archetype. And, and Vaughn just regurgitates his self-actualization from the first movie, and, and that's that. It is disappointing, but if you play enough games, you're, you're bound to have some tragedies. Can't win them all. And that's not just baseball. It's not just a 162-game season. That's life. And that's Major League 2. There's a, th a third installment that I just won't watch. There's also rumored to be a fourth in the works, which will... I, I, I won't watch that either if it ever comes out. In the landscape of bringing up existing IP for sequels or spinoffs, I don't believe that Major League will ever remotely become a thing. The life and the culture are so different now. A new Major League would be the climax of a ball player going on a podcast and, and dissing a coach or something. It would be pointless. You know, if you're not a baseball fan, you can easily skip Major League 2. It weirdly pulled punches to get a PG rating, but it's still like way too much for that. I strongly feel that it was required to be PG to compete with the absolute onslaught of kids' baseball movies that were successful in the box office. Um, the, the times, they, they were a changing, and... Uh, you know, what we're left with is, is something simply disappointing and lackluster with a lot of cursing. We don't need a Friday Night Lights 2. We don't need a Bull Durham again. We don't need a literal, a littler big league or a little bigger league. We don't need a Rookie of the Year, but it's Scrubs Season 9. We don't, we don't need it. We don't need this movie even. We don't need Major League 2. But that's okay. We can't win them all. Be nice and take care of each other.